0: From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration from movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter.
1: How would you define the greatest leader of all time and what measure would you use to define great leadership? Well, regardless of what your spiritual beliefs are, it's hard to argue with the influence that Jesus Christ of Nazareth had on the world. Um, and today, with over 2 billion active followers, he trumps anybody on uh, that has a Twitter following or a, a Facebook following by a very, very large degree. Uh, and uh, so he's not been around for a couple thousand years, and so it's hard to argue with the the influence and the impact of Jesus. And we're going to talk about that, uh, and we have an amazing guest, the one and only Ken Blanchard, who wrote the book Lead Like Jesus, who went and looked at some of the historical perspective and uh, some of the, the 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 history of Jesus' life. And he's going to talk about what we all have to learn about leadership, regardless of what, you know, what your religion is or your faith is of, of what leadership lessons that apply to business or apply to modern, you know, parenting or to running a church or to running a nonprofit or to, to running a military or whatever. Like these are leadership principles that apply no matter what you do and they, no matter what you believe spiritually, and so that's fun to talk about. This is an episode that could possibly change the way that you lead forever. This one episode could could potentially radically transform the way that leadership is done throughout your entire organization. And so anybody that you know that is a leader, this is a great episode, I think, for you to share with them. So I think you're going to love it. We'll get started just after this message.
0: This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one on one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst.
2: I am just absolutely humbled and honored to be speaking with today and bringing to you another one of the true legends of this industry and space uh, in, in the world of helping people achieve their goals and helping leaders. Ken Blanchard is our guest, and if uh, somehow you've never heard of him, um, he is one of the most influential leadership experts in the world. He has a Ph.D. from Cornell University. He's the author of 60 books that have sold a combined uh, more than 21 million copies in 42 languages. Uh, the One Minute Manager being probably the, 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 the most pervasive. That's, that was one of the very first leadership books that I ever read. Made a huge impact on me. We still recommend it to all of our coaching clients and um, all of our internal leaders. And um, the, I, when, when Ken and I connected, we actually connected over a book that he co authored with Phil Hodges and Phyllis Hendry called Lead Like Jesus. And Patrick Lencioni called this book, Lead Like Jesus, the most important manage book, management book that he's ever encountered. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And even if you're not a Jesus follower or, a, 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 you know, spiritually a believer in Jesus, one of the reasons why I thought this topic would be good is because the book really highlights Jesus specifically as a leader and as a leadership role model. So, um, Ken, we're honored to have you. Welcome to the show, my friend nice to be with you
3: it's a, a real special time
2: so you say that Jesus is the greatest leadership role model of all, all time so beyond thinking of him as a Lord and Savior and uh, you, you know as a, as, a, as, a, as a spiritual figure and Savior Uh, you say that we should think of him as our leadership role model. Um, Why do you say that?
3: Well, I tell you, uh, Rory, I first uh, started to think about that, and I hadn't really thought about it because I wasn't a big faith-based guy at the time. But uh, I was asked to be on the Hour of Power with uh, Robert Shula in his heyday uh, in 1983, and was about the one-minute mm-hmm. manager he wanted to talk to me. He said, Ken, you know who's the greatest one-minute manager of all time? I said, who's that? He said, uh, Jesus. I said, really? He said, yeah. He was really clear on goals. Isn't that your first secret one-minute goal? Exciting. I said, oh, yeah. And he said, you and Tom Peters didn't invent management by wandering around. Jesus did. He wandered around. Uh, <laughs> around the if he saw anybody doing anything good, he'd praise them, heal him. Uh Isn't that your second secret one-minute praising? I said, yeah. And he said and, if people stepped out of line, Jesus wasn't afraid to give them a one-minute reprimand. He threw the moneylenders out of the temple. Isn't that your third secret, the uh, one-minute reprimand? I said, yeah. He said, well, he's the greatest uh leader of all times. And I went, whoa, that's really interesting. And so uh, as I got down in my spiritual journey, the first thing I did was read the Gospels and the Book of Acts because I wanted to see what the man did. And I just laughed because everything I had taught about leadership Jesus did with these 12 incompetent guys he hired. I mean, you would not. Have hired him <laughs> <if> not. <laughs> you know, he to get a decent preacher in the whole group, you know. And uh, so, uh, but uh, the important thing I've said for a long time about leadership isn't what happens when you're there. It's what happens when you're not there, you know. Um, mm. Easy to get people to do when you're hovering over. But it was funny. I was with <clears throat> John Ortberg one time in Atlanta. We were doing a Lead Like Jesus uh, program, and he's one of my favorite authors and pastors. And this church is up in Northern California at Menlo Park. And I said, John, why would you travel all the way across the country to tell people Jesus is the greatest leadership role model of all time? And John's got a great sense of humor. He turned to his crowd. He said, let's just suppose 2,100 years or so ago you were a gambler. Now, he said, I know some of you don't like gambling. But where would you have bet your money on lasting, the Roman Empire and the Roman Army, or a little Jewish carpenter of <laughs> mm. inexperienced followers? And he said, isn't it interesting that 2,100, 2,200 years later, we're still
0: naming kids
3: Jesus, Peter, Paul, and Mary, but we name our dogs Nero and Caesar. <laughs> so <laughs> I rest my case. So uh, Jesus was an amazing uh, leadership role model.
2: Yeah, that is uh I mean that that's interesting when you you know, when you sort of think about it in that way, both the naming and then uh you know, the Roman Empire is so huge, has all these resources, all this this money and power and everything. And yet today, if you just if you just think about it, I know you this is one of the concepts in the book that hit me, is just take all the spirituality out of it. You go, Today Jesus has been dead for two thousand years and today he's got 2.1 or 2 something you know, billion followers, and that's really amazing just to just to sort of think about that. So you go, you know, you have all the people following The Rock or Lady Gaga on on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Nobody even comes comes close to Jesus. Um, but one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, so does, does, does his style of leadership? is that really relevant today like isn't isn't it sort of soft i mean when i think you know when people think of jesus they kind of go oh well you know isn't that kind of soft i mean does that really work in the cutthroat competitive sort of changing landscape
3: no but i think people do think that because he was a servant leader you know and they think that's soft and but the reality is that that uh, people don't understand servant leadership there's two parts of it and jesus understood that the first part is the uh, first part is the leadership part of servant leadership, which is vision, direction, uh, values, and goals, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. that's got to come from the hierarchy. It doesn't mean you don't involve people, but people look to you for direction. So Jesus is really clear with his disciples. He said, come with me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then the picture of the future is go and make disciples of all nations, you know. and And then the values, he said, You know, what are your key values? Well, love God with all your heart and all your mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself, you know. So he was really clear with them and all. And then once the uh, people understand and are really tuned into the vision and direction and, and values and all, then the second part that kicks in is the servant part of servant leadership. And now that's when you turn the pyramid upside down and you now work for them. And Jesus symbolically did that. You know, he had kind of a slow group. It took him a while to <laughs> understand exactly why he was here. But when mm-hmm. he knew he was going to be leaving, what did he do at the Last Supper? He got up, got a basin and a towel, filled it with water, and he washed their feet, you know, and, and uh, which is symbolically sort of saying, you know, I work for you. You know, what can I do? And a lot of people say, my God, I don't want to do that, I'll lose my position. No, what did Jesus say right after he, he washed their feet? He said, you call me teacher and Lord, rightly so, so I'm not giving that up, but essentially he said, just as I have done for you, do for others, you know, because even mm-hmm. I have come to serve, not to be served. And I think that's where the real action is in organizations is if you turn that pyramid upside down, once people understand where you're going and the goals and the values and all, then You're working for them so they can accomplish the goals and live according to the vision and all. And you're trying to empower people all the way down to the people who deal with your customers, you know. And uh, Mm
2: -hmm. the whole
3: sales area, imagine being a salesman. Yeah, I I want
2: to – tell me your – because you and I were having a chat about this. So, like, you know, you're not knowing much about Southwestern Consulting before we met. You know, you and I started talking about sales, and that's you know, what we do—is really sales coaching. And and you had a philosophy about this, and I, it's it's worth you sharing that.
3: Well, it's just so, so obvious, you know. In in uh, in sales, you know, if it if it's all about you and uh, your goal accomplishment, uh, people are going to read right through that and all. But if your main concern, which I think is sure, you have a vision about. What you want to accomplish, and you have a good product, hopefully, and all that kind of thing. But the real great salesmen focus on developing a relationship with the person that they're working with, so that they know how what they're selling really can help those people be better at what they do, and all. And so it's it's you know it's that whole thing about relationship selling, uh, you know, not results uh, selling, and and the and the results will come. If you develop great relationships, it's really amazing. When we look at our company, uh, people will often will work with them in a company, and then they'll get transferred or on the other side to leave and all. And they always take our people with them. Why? Because they have a relationship with them. And they, and they mm-hmm. say, gee, you know, I'm moving over here. I want you to come on in and and, uh, and tell us, uh, you know, how you can help us. And so that's that's mm-hmm. where the action is, and that's really kind of turning that pyramid upside down. In sales you know you know so you have your vision and your direction but you're really working so, for them that's the ser- for servants
2: selling yeah yeah that is that's part of our philosophy is, is servant selling and we talk about it a lot on the podcast and i just thought it was interesting how you 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 know you know you obviously share that same philosophy and it comes from the same place in our case uh you know just from being believers and stuff but yeah.
3: i want to go back well, to the you know,
0: leadership
3: one, one of the things uh, oh. one of the things i was just thinking about is that a lot of people misinterpret Jesus. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to build a relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think if people would remember that, you know, and I think the minute you put that into a religion and get into a hierarchy and a bureaucracy, then you get into, you know, judgment and evaluation. And Jesus said, you'll be known as my disciples by how you love each other, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know not judge each other. And uh, so I think that's what relationship selling is is realizing this person in front of you is an important human being and how can you uh help them be the best that they can possibly be
2: that's so powerful uh jesus didn't come to start a religion he came to build a relationship make sure that y'all uh help people and, and be clear on that ourselves the um so one of the things that you you mentioned to me when we were having a conversation a while back uh, you were just chatting on the phone, but you said something that really caught my attention. You said that a part of what leadership is is, and I think I think you you said that a friend or a mentor taught you this was is managing the managing the present, but also preparing for the future or something to that effect. What what what, what is that principle? Where did you learn it from? Yes,
3: I wrote a book a number of years ago with Terry Waghorn, who was with KBMG in Europe, and. That book was called uh, uh, God. I forget
2: the title right now. <laughs> That's when you know you've written a lot of books, but you don't. You can't remember the titles. You've got so many. <laughs> but. Uh, but, but, uh,
3: the philosophy was is that as a as a leader, you have to manage the present and create the future. Uh, and where you get in a lot of problems in organizations, I think, is when you. Take people with present time responsibilities and send them away to, to plan your future, because very often they'll kill the future because they're either overwhelmed with the present or a vested interest in it. And so, uh, when uh, the name of the book was Mission Possible: How to Create a World Class Organization While There's Still Time, how's that? I came up with at, at our our fifty fifth reunion this year. We had a rule: if you couldn't remember something, it, give me fifteen minutes.
2: <laughs> 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 so uh, no,
3: but, didn't come right. up with it, but when, when I came up with that concept, my wife was the president of our company. She has a Ph.D. in communication, and she was much better at that kind of thing. But she said, that's what I want to do. I want to head up the Office of the Future. And she stepped down as president and turned it over to her brother uh, and uh, became the head of the Office of the Future and had two or three people, full-time jobs, studying what was happening in our industry uh and uh so that when uh you know 9-11 came you know and all that kind of thing uh, uh the uh we were prepared because we knew about the internet we knew about training online and and a lot of people didn't know about that so it's a it's an interesting concept i think that uh is, is think about those two things it's um, powerful and
2: you so you know you talk about with with Jesus, how it's, it's creating that vision, you know, and, and sort of like, but then preparing people for the future. I mean, tell, go, go tell all the world is both of them. So, um, okay. So here's what I, I wanted to, to really kind of get to. Okay. So you hear, all right, lead like Jesus. And whether you're a believer or not, you go, okay, well, it's hard, it's hard to argue with the guy's results, right. As a, as a leader and the impact that he's, he's made. Um, what, then and, and then you go, okay, and what is his philosophy? Okay, it's servant leadership, right? It's washing people's feet. It's it's coming not to, to to be served, but to serve. So then what is the biggest roadblock to us actually going out and doing this, to, to actually leading like Jesus? Why aren't more of us able to go do this?
3: Well, we found, Rory, the biggest addiction in the world is the human ego, which is... Mm. Uh, in AA, they always called that edging God out. You could say everything good outside, but uh, it's uh, when you're focused on yourself, and there's two ways that ego shows up. One is false pride. When you have a more than philosophy, you think you're brighter than, smarter than, and all, and and you you kind of uh, push people away because they just don't know as much, and and people with that uh, mindset running organizations, they want everybody sucking up the hierarchy and realizing all the brains are in their office uh but the uh, other uh ego problem is a fear or self-doubt you know when you have a less than you know philosophy now you say oh god i don't know if i can do this you know and this other person's really smart you know and all that and you're that's an ego problem yeah because people didn't think that but when you're into your moaning and groaning and and self-doubt what are you focusing on yourself or others (laughs) Hmm. you're focusing on on yourself. And, and we have a 12 step Egos Anonymous uh, program. And it's really fun. I was working <laughs> with our country club uh, leadership here in, in Skinny Atlas where we spend the summer. and I, I had them do an Egos Anonymous meeting because I had them stand up one at a time and talk about a time when their ego got in the way in the last 48 hours. And I said, if you can't think of one, you lie about other things too. Because, you know, periodically we either somebody says something and you say, God, you've got to be kidding me. We got this false pride thing or, or somebody will do something. Oh God, I I could never do that, you know? And, uh, so, uh, the anecdote for, for uh, false pride is humility, which I think is a really key aspect of what we're talking about. And I think of about great salespeople and all Jim Collins and good to great said that the greatest leaders, uh, have two uh two things in common i think this are great with salespeople which is resolve which is determination to accomplish a goal and all and the second is humility and he initially thought that was a weakness and he said the researchers you know you know that can't be the number two and they kept on saying it is because people think that uh, humility is a weakness it really isn't rory in fact when i worked with norman vincent Peale on a, a book we did when he was 86 years old we came up with, uh, wow. people with humility don't, don't think less of themselves. They just think about themselves less. And so, uh, that's a really important concept, uh, that you don't think less of yourself. You just think about yourself less. Uh, and, uh, so that's the anecdote for false pride. The anecdote for, for self doubt and fear is to distrust that God didn't make any junk, you know, the unconditional love that my mother used to say is a pearl of goodness in everyone. Dig for it with some people, mm. but it's there, uh, you know. And so we just need to trust that we might not have all the skills we think we would like to have, but we're we're beautiful in our own way. So, but uh, that's the biggest wow. issue is the human ego.
2: Yeah, that is so powerful. I think, gosh, that dichotomy of the more than and the less than that that both ways. Uh, you know, you always think of ego as being self-absorbed, but you don't think of self-doubt as being self-absorbed, but it absolutely is. And it's like both of those get in the way yeah. of service. That's so... Well, look, look, at so, all,
3: look at all the negative addictions, alcohol, drugs, sex, all. Those are people who don't feel good about themselves, who are looking for some outside agent to make them feel more powerful, more uh, good, and all that kind of thing, so... It's a a really important uh, thing, and so that's why we have a lot of leaders now uh, where when they have their meeting with their people once a week, they start off with an Ego's Anonymous meeting, and it it really has brought the group together unbelievably. And I wrote a book with Colleen Barrett, who was president of Southwest Airlines, after uh, Herb decided to step down, and she's a wonderful person. But she had a great saying. She said, people admire your skills But they love your vulnerability, and I think a lot of people Mm. uh, are afraid to admit that they don't know something, you know, and I think, boy, as a salesperson, if if somebody says, ask you a question, rather than trying to fake you, know all the answers, you say, that's a really good question. Let me see if I can find the answer, and I'll get back to you, you know, and rather than thinking less of you, they're going to think more of you.
2: Yeah, Ken, uh, this is so so good, and I uh, I knew that this time was going to go by fast. Where do you want people to go? Uh, Like, where would you direct people, Ken, to either learn more about lead like Jesus or uh, you know learn more about you? What are you What are you focused on?
3: Well, I think that they they could go to leadlikejesus.com, and our book is called Lead Like Jesus uh, Revisited. Uh, It's a more up-to-date version of that that book if they wanted uh to uh check that out if uh uh and then in terms of our own company uh we're in the training business. Lead like Jesus headquarters is in South Carolina. We're in uh San Diego uh and it's uh Ken and I guess the book that describes what we've been doing the most over the years is a book called Leading at a Higher Level. Uh and I had eighteen co authors and these are all the people to help build our company with content and all that kind of thing so it
2: was great wow uh well the uh the last little thing here what are some of these warning signs you know like if somebody is out there listening and they go you know what uh i'm not so sure that i have been leading like jesus i'm not sure like maybe i'm not such a servant leader what are some of the warning signs that you go hey if these things start to show up in your life uh, then you probably need to really dig in and, and, and get real about, you know, understanding this.
3: Yeah. Well, I think the biggest thing is to watch the people around you. And when you show up, does everybody stop talking? And, and, uh, when you try to get feedback from them, mm-hmm. they, they kind of go silent or they butter you up or what have you. I, I think that the, the real sign that you're a servant leader. Is that feedback is the breakfast of champions, you know, and that uh, hmm. people are willing to be straight with you about things and also praise you as well uh, when things are going well. But uh, the big thing is do they feel like they can bring their brains to work uh, and make decisions or do they always have to run to daddy uh, to find the answers? And so that uh, what you really want to is you want to produce eagles not ducks ducks go quack 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 it's our policy quack quack i just work here quack quack i didn't make the rules quack quack you want to talk to my supervisor where an eagle will say hey you know like at nordstrom's no problem i'll take care of it i just love that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff
2: well sir it's Uh, uh it is such an honor and i know that uh I know that you were close friends with uh, Zig Ziglar, who made a big impact on my life, and uh, I know that you knew so many of those National Speakers Association, uh, you know, early early members, and Charlie Tremendous Jones, and uh, Norman Vincent Peel. I know, and all these all these these different people that you've worked with, and thank you for an, an amazing uh, uh, lifetime of work and body of work, and I know that you're you're still producing so much rich content, and uh, just. You you make a real difference in the world, and and you've meant a lot to a lot of people, and and you know I'm one of them.
3: Well, I I appreciate that, and I feel very blessed. You know, I just uh, Lord has been good to me and opened a lot of doors that that uh, have helped, and so I I feel really uh, really blessed.
1: <laughs> you know, the, for me talking to people like Ken Blanchard is. I mean that's a, I mean Ken is a celebrity. These these people, these these guys are legends and uh you know Zig Ziglar and Charlie Tremendous Jones and Norman Vincent Peale and it's like Ken knew all these guys like uh and gals uh in and, and he talks about um just just like it's it's just rich it's just rich and when you spend time with somebody like him it's just like gosh he's so wise and he's spent so much time studying and learning and applying and also has 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 built a very large company multiple companies and um it's just really cool there's not really anything i'm going to add to what ken has said um i more just wanted to come back through and highlight the my five biggest takeaways and um You know, I'm I'm like you here. I'm just learning at the feet of all of these people that come on, and sometimes I feel like we've got content that that really sort of accentuates what they're saying. Uh, But when Ken was talking, I was just like, oh, that's so good, that's so good, that's so good. And so I just thought I would give you my five biggest takeaways, and then of course your action item for the week. Um, So number one, that he said, leadership is not about what happens when you're there, but what happens when you're not there. And that is so good. And that is so rich, right? Like it's so true. Like who cares that your team is productive when you're standing right there with them that any, anybody will do that. It's just sheer, like, you know, title and fear and trying to keep their jobs. But what are people doing when you're not there? And I think that's one of the things that I've always loved about Southwestern consulting is that, um, You know, in a lot of ways, Henry's always granted us the freedom to sort of build whatever culture we wanted and whatever you know the team wanted. And because we're a virtual team, you know, our coaches are scattered all over the world. Literally, Um, it's like we've just built this team. One, we're not like a leadership hierarchy. Really, we're not big on titles and stuff. Um, And uh, the you know we do have leaders and managers and stuff. You have to when you you start growing to the size that we're at, but. The, the the idea is we've always built this culture where people were always empowered to where they felt like n- not felt like they they are in charge of their own deal and they f- and they do feel like that they they feel like they're in charge and, and they're everybody is empowered to operate in a way that it's like they're the commander of their own little ship and so it's it's amazing when you do that because it's so much less stressful for everybody and it's and as the leader if you think about you don't want to build that culture that that needs you to be there every second every day like if you have to do that then you're you're never going to scale you're never going to multiply and so if you're you know if you run a building a small business or something now it's good to build with that in mind to go you know, just think about you're you're building a team that needs to operate in your absence, and I think that's very, very powerful. The second big takeaway for me, uh, which is not the first time that I've I've heard this, um, but it was still powerful, is the idea of you take the hierarchical pyramid, the classic organizational structure, the classic organizational chart, and turn it upside down. Where and and that's what Jesus did is and and it's so symbolic the the washing of the feet at the last supper, but it is so powerful and it's so relevant today to go it, it's 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 not about serving those people who are in power it's about those people in power serving everybody else and that is. Truly radical right that's not the kind of leadership that we see in most places, but we do see it in 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 movements. you always see that kind of leadership in movements and things that take off uh Simon Sinek once uh shared a an Instagram post that I loved he said um, the i don 't even remember how it went exactly but the 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 concept of it was that in order for a mission to become a movement, it has to belong it can't belong to the people who started the movement it has to belong to the people in the movement and that's i think really reflective of this is when things it, it's like it, it, it there's something magical that happens there in the transference too where the 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 people take you know there's usually like a founder or whatever somebody who started a movement but then it's the people who carry it and it be it or you know they take this mission maybe that the founder sort of started and other people got on the mission but then it becomes this movement because people take it and they run with it and they it becomes theirs and great leaders do that intentionally and they do that by serving um the people and i think that's so cool and i think southwestern consulting is a good example like um Certainly not because of me. I I can't actually raise my hand and say that like you know I've I've been the best in this area. But uh, I think collectively as a team, we've been able to get our egos out of the way enough to where the whole concept of elevating sales and the third big thing that I took from Ken was. This, I, uh, this concept, and this wasn't so much about Jesus, although Jesus is a good example of somebody doing this, this was more of what he learned from his eventual co-author, which was the, the, both a challenge and a powerful insight that as a leader, you have to be able to manage the present and also create the future. You have to be able to manage the present and also create the future. And that is really hard to do. And it's like, it's hard enough managing the present. There's always fires and stuff. Um, But you also have to be creating the future. And again, that's where I think one of the things that Southwestern Consulting, like we're so lucky just because of probably Henry's influence the most in, in terms of that. We don't have a CEO. We don't have a president. We're just a team of partners. And we've always started that way as just kind of knights of the round table is how we describe it in to the, the, the people on our team is there's, there's not one person in charge. And so because of that, we've always been a team of partners. Well, because it's never been about one person, we, it really has empowered the growth of Southwestern Consulting because we have different people. We we have enough people to both manage the present and create the future in all these different things that we're doing. And uh, uh, and, and I guess it's not really blind luck. I think Henry, uh, and when I say Henry, I mean Henry Bedford. He's the CEO of the whole family of companies. He we had him on the the show here uh, maybe a couple months ago now, but. That was a part of Henry's design, I think, and it was an experiment he had always wanted to try I, in some ways. I think, and it's just part of his personal philosophy that you know, we were all kids when we started the business, and um, you know, Henry's influence really shaped us in this direction, and and it's it's powerful because you go if you only have one leader if if all you have is one leader that leader is often going to have to choose between managing the present or creating the future when you have a team of of tremendous leaders who are empowered then you can all help to to both manage the necessary present but also to invent and to author and to visioneer the 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 essential future the you know the critical future and that's a really, really important idea. And as soon as Ken mentioned that to me in our conversation a few days ago before this, that was like, whoa, that's a big that's a big one. Uh number four, uh, and he said this directly. I asked him the question directly and he answered it. I said, What is the biggest obstacle to leading like Jesus? And he didn't even think about it. And I think he nailed it right square and center, which is ego. Ego. Right? Like that's it. That's what it comes down to. The the biggest obstacle to you leading like Jesus, to you creating a you know turning your business or your nonprofit or your whatever into a movement is ego. That our ego gets in the way. Um and I it was really interesting to me though about how you know when you say ego it's he said you know there's two types there's more than and less than people who are more than are you know they're they're the overachievers they and they want they work really hard and so they want people to know that they're smart and they want to know they want people to know that they have good ideas and they want people to know how much work they put in and i think uh, you know, for me personally, that is the area of ego that I struggle with because I've always worked really hard and I want people to value, you know, my intelligence and ideas. And so going out of my way to articulate that, I think, is is damaging to the team, right? And I think that's something that holds me back and, and you know, in some ways, obviously, has held our team back in the past. And, you know, I, I'm, I, hopefully that will die and continue to die more and more, um and and that's how i think when you hear the word ego you typically say that um ironically i remember when we first started southwestern consulting i i remember a saying that ego was going to be the the biggest challenge for us because we are a team of high powered you know extremely high powered people um and somehow you know we've been able to come together as a, as a as a team um but i think you know my ego is is one that needs to be managed and it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be killed and that's another place where i'm thankful to have partners who don't take that crap right like they they keep me in check and uh, that's you know, i'm so thankful for that um because the ego is man it's just this beast and and the more it gets fed like the faster it grows and then it just becomes this this monster uh, anyways, so that's enough about my shortcomings, uh, for one episode. But I think that is, uh, you, you know, that's what most people think of when they think of ego. But, uh, what was interesting to me was the whole less than side that, you know, self doubt. Um, we don't think of that being an ego problem, but it is because you're focusing on yourself. And I think that is such an important distinction is to go like, uh, you know, if you if you feel less than in self-doubt here's here it is self-doubt is a form of indulgence self-doubt is a form of indulgence um and this kind of relates to what we talked about on the last episode with Debbie Lee. If you remember on this last episode, she was the mother of uh, Markley, who was the a Navy SEAL who was killed in Iraq, who was featured in the movie American Sniper. And so, if you didn't listen to that episode, it's about it's about getting through grief, uh, and you hear her firsthand account and story of losing her son, uh, which is just just heart wrenching. I mean, I I literally was was crying during the interview, uh, which I, I I don't think I've ever done before, and but. Um, you know, she was talking about how, you know, when you're going through grief, it's easy to wallow, it's easy to, you know, become absorbed in it. And there's a grieving process that is healthy that you need to go through. But at some point you have to transition out of that. And, um, and, and that is where, um, service comes in and selflessness and, so self-doubt is a form of indulgence, self-doubt is a form of ego because it's still focusing all on you. And that is some of you are in more of the other camp, some of you are in that camp, but either way, you need to break out of that crap, right? Like that's not that's not good either. That's not allowable either. Like you're not doing anybody any favors either, and that's not noble, right? Self-doubt isn't isn't noble. And and that brings me to the to the fifth. Uh, Takeaway from this interview from Ken, which is there's a big is 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 there's a big difference between humility and self doubt, right? There's a big 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 difference between humility and self doubt, and. I mean, this line, I mean, Ken Ken just pegged it, and I didn't realize, I honestly uh, didn't realize that he was the original author of this line. I've heard people say it. In fact, we say it around Southwestern, and uh, it's good to know that actually him and Norman Vincent Peale were the original authors of this, which is that selflessness is not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Selflessness is not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And that is a very keen and sharp and powerful and significant distinction because self-doubt is thinking less of oneself and that's indulgent. That is egotistical. That is the world revolving around you. But selflessness is just thinking of yourself less often, right? Thinking um, not you, not being the center of the universe always, and I, I think of uh, Spencer Hayes in in southwestern culture and the family. He he was sort of the epitome of this selflessness, and uh, you know, we haven't always told a lot about his story, but in 1982, he basically single handedly purchased the southwestern company back from Times Mirror, who had owned us back in those days. But instead of deciding to own the whole company he decided to create an equity plan where all of the the senior leaders and top producers and people could earn their way into owning equity. And part of that was because he was grateful that his manager, Fred Landers, had had given him a piece of of stock at some point um, before Southwestern had sold in 1969, I believe it was. And so Spencer got this sum of money in 1969, saved it, built it, Meanwhile, I worked at Times Mirror, and then in 1982, when we bought ourselves back, Spencer was the only person really that had any money, and uh, so he took all this money he had saved and basically, you know, single-handedly purchased us back. Um, there was one other guy who had like five thousand dollars. Um, and other than that, it was a very leveraged buyout, so it was bank-financed. And And Spencer could have taken complete control of the company. Um, and, and what he did, though, was he created this stock plan, uh, which is the stock plan that we have today. And Henry Bedford was the junior accountant, or, you know, the accountant. I don't know if he was a junior accountant, but he worked for Spencer, and he was the one who created the math behind the stock plan. Well, that stock plan in 1982 that Spencer uh, and Henry created empowered us to go from one company that was doing about 12 million dollars in revenue at the time to now 15 companies right that do several hundred million dollars of revenue part of that is empowered because we have an open stock plan that anybody who's a performer can earn equity and when we started southwestern consulting right that was that was one of the reasons we did it is because it was like we could partner with southwestern still be entrepreneurs uh, though and still have equity and own you know, the art, uh, 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 the, own the success of our business. And so anyways, I say all that to just go Spencer is an example of selflessness. And that is, that is so powerful. Right. And when you, when you think of Jesus, right, you, you, you cannot, there is no greater example of selflessness than dying for other people. And I think that's why we're drawn to these stories. Um, you know, like Debbie from last week, her son died uh, for the sake of serving other people. And that's what her heroism looks like. And and you know, there's no greater sacrifice and, and price than one's life. And Jesus is is the ultimate epitome of that, the the example of that. And so, you know, regardless of whether or not you believe in him, that's the whole story of Jesus, right? Is he was perfect, he had no sin he took sin upon himself and was basically tortured and and brutally beaten and uh humiliated and uh you know murdered and and he did that because he wants to know you because he wants a relationship with you because he wants to serve you and ken also hit that nail on the head right when he said jesus didn't come to create a religion he came to create a relationship he didn't care about all the rituals and stuff. He wanted to know you. He wanted you to know that he loved you. And that is really, really different. And that's really radical. If you look at one of the things of all the different religions of the world, most of the gods live up there in heaven, right? And Jesus is the one who came Down from heaven, walked among us, became us, and then died for us. And so, you know, just theologically speaking, that is a very uniqueness of Christianity. That it's it's based on selflessness. And here, and here, all these years later, you know, look at the following that still exists because of the 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 power. That that's what leadership is. That's what it looks like. Um, So, selflessness isn't thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Um, hopefully you found those to be as rich as, as I did. And, um, uh, man, what an opportunity to just get a few moments with Ken unscripted to just kind of hear some of his heart. So your action item, right? For the week is, uh, to focus on being selfless, but also in leading, right? In parenting, in, uh, teaching, in entrepreneuring, in whatever it is that you do every day. Selflessness is that is the way. And the ego, the, the ego, as Ryan Holiday say, the ego is the enemy. Um, so who can you serve? Who can you help? Who can you support? Uh, how can you be more selfless? Because if you can learn to be more selfless, then you are going to learn to lead like Jesus. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log into whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them.
0: If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst, and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.